Hello Tennis Weekly listeners, this episode is brought to you by Tennis Channel. Tennis Channel is the only place in the UK where you can watch the 2022 Davis Cup finals and catch players like Felix Auger-Aliassime, Matteo Berrettini, Marin Cilic, Francis Tiafo, and Denis Shapovalov as they battle it out for their nations to become the world champions of tennis. You'll also be able to catch the Battle of the Brits in December featuring Andy Murray where he will be taking on the likes of Jack Draper and Dan Evans. Plus, with the Tennis Channel subscription, you get exclusive access to original shows featuring top players, award-winning documentaries, and coaching videos. Sign up now to Tennis Channel at www.tennischannel.app or download the app and use the code UKDC at checkout for 50% off your annual subscription. That's just £12.50 for an entire year's worth of access to Tennis Channel. So once again, that's www.tennischannel.app or download the app and use the code UKDC at the checkout for 50% off. And the link is in the description. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Novak Djokovic clinches his first Tour Finals trophy in seven years. Australia overturns the Serbs ban into the country. And the Davis Cup knockouts get underway in Malaga. Kim, Chris, today is the 21st of November and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Novak Djokovic is your ATP end of season tour champion in Turin, his first trophy there in seven years. He now goes equal on the list with Roger Federer with six in total. We also had Joe Salisbury, Britain's own Joe Salisbury with Rajiv Ram defeat Mektic and Pavic in the doubles final. And of course, we've got the World Cup underway. That is the World Cup of tennis. Yes, the World Cup of football is on in Qatar, but we've got the World Cup of tennis starting very, very shortly in Malaga. But we did have a tennis scoreline in the England match today. 6-2 it was. Very surprising. Yeah. Maybe they're, maybe they're so, all tennis fans. A, a double break. <laughs> a double break. Yeah, England won by a double break over Iran. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's quite exciting. You know, as one sort of tennis season comes to a close, we, we at least have a, another major sporting event to get into. Although it does feel a bit weird that that's taking place in November. I find it weird that there's two World Cups going on at the same time in different sports. I mean, I'm glad that you're considering the Davis Cup in Malaga. <laughs> hey, on a, I'm the same following level. through with that branding. That branding and marketing is really having an impact on me. So I'm I'm happy to to call it the World Cup of Tennis. I'm sure Gerard PK would be delighted <laughs> uh, that you are. Uh, <laughs> but yes, we do have that coming up. Uh, which is exciting, although many players, you know, many, many top, top players not able to be there. Um, still going to be good. Um, we've had the the tour finals last week, which we'll be getting on to in a bit. And some visa news as well with, with Novak Djokovic. Is this a Novak Djokovic episode? I feel like it kind of is um, because we're, we're going to talk about him quite a lot today. But, you know, he, he's been absent from some of the major events of this season. <laughs> so I feel like it's his time to to have the mm. focus on him this this week. Um but let's let's talk about the last week. Uh, you know, that's what we're here for. Um, we had a few few funny things happening. Um, what's your what's been your highlight of the week, both of you? Before we get onto the the details, Chris, is there one thing that's that really got you going this week? 
Well, I think for me, it has to be the fact that uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas went full Yelena Ostapenko in his post-match <laughs> press conference. Um, this is about as dramatic as it gets between the top players on the ATP mm. tour when he described Rublev as having few tools. Um, and that's very reminiscent of comments that were made at Wimbledon after losing to um, Tom Janovic, where Ostapenko said, if I'd played at least 50%, I would have beaten her. Um, and it feels like it's kind of cut from the same cloth there. And the quotes were quite, I was quite shocked by this. I'm not saying it's a particular highlight, but I think it's um, for for the dramatic scenes of this, of saying he didn't feel threatened at all during the match. And um, that it's a, a shame because he felt like the better player, that he could do more with the ball today. Uh, he could be much more creative. Uh, he doesn't even need to say that because that's quite obvious. So... Ooh, scathing. It was. It was a pretty spicy interaction because Rublev then got told he was next into press. Um, and he said... It's a bit awkward. Well, his backhand is better than mine. My forehand's probably better than his and my serve's quicker than his. So um, I think he thought he had slightly more than a few tools. But I was quite shocked by that. I don't know what you think. Is Sitsipas just a bit grumpy mm. at the end of season? But that 6-2 final set was pretty convincing for someone with few tools. Well, I mean, Rublev got the win, you know, it was three sets, yeah. but yeah, 6-3, 6-2 in those last two sets. So, you know, you may have fewer tools, perhaps, but maybe you're using them better. So it's it's about mm. that as well. So I think, yeah, that was um, a bit of, bit of grumpiness from Sitspas. And, you know, Rublev was the one going through into the semifinals from that group alongside yeah. So, you know, Sitspas... He needs to go and look at his tools, maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's a really good point, Kim. I think maybe it's a damning indictment of himself that he has all of these tools. But where have they been this year, you know? I do think it's interesting, though. You talk about, about Rublev, few tools, because I feel like the criticism of him in the past is that he does have a really, really good plan A, but arguably does he have a, a plan B or a plan C or different varieties that maybe some of the other players around him in the rankings do have and there's and and I think he's been you know sometimes I think unfairly yeah, associated with this sort of being quite one-dimensional kind of player from the the baseline but yeah it was surprising to me I think for Sispas to then just go out and say it I think quite explicitly in a press conference even though I feel like there are some fans probably out there who maybe agree with him I mean some might but he Rublev is an Olympic gold medalist in mm -hmm. mixed doubles so yeah. he's got a couple of tools in his game he's not <laughs> and he plays regularly on the tour with Kachanov doesn't he so how long are we going to yeah. have the tools metaphor extend into next season I feel like it can now he's be got a to new, use it a few times is it a new phrase for yeah. the podcast I feel not many tools in his shed <laughs> should we use that <laughs> or his toolbox yeah his we can certainly box. get That's some better some leverage out of that. I mean, <laughs> my highlight of the week was Rafa winning a match. Oh, uh, yes. so it doesn't take a lot. <laughs> I thought it was going to be zero from three, but he managed to clinch mm. a win over Gaspar Rude in two Gaspar Rude let set. him. Well, <laughs> maybe. He trained at his academy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They struck up a deal. That's true. When that match came up, it just reminded me of the French Open final and how, oh, you know, Rude, idolizes and, and grew up you know idolizing Rafa and uh yeah I, I thought yeah I thought that was a Rafa I don't know for me it was a little bit of a gimme for Rafa maybe he played pretty well in that one yeah I think. he did he um, did a lot better than his his first and second match to be fair yeah I think it was definitely a highlight as well because no one wants to see Rafa lose more matches than he's lost since mm. what was it 2008 or something mm. so yeah it wasn't looking good something was to it? build on Kim doesn't it it does, yeah. A bit of positivity at the end of the season. So that was my little, uh, my little um, 
gold star of the week. Um, the Joel, dead rubber. <laughs> yeah, a dead rubber at the tour finals. There we go. I'm easily pleased. Um, Joel, <laughs> did you have a particular moment from this past week that you enjoyed? Yes, I I really enjoyed when they wheeled out all of the uh, the players who've retired this season um, because there's been quite a lot of them and uh, it was nice for them I think to get their moment in in Turin uh, you know recognition amongst the the crowd and and from their um, you know their fellow players as well and it was it was great to see you know Songa and and Gilles Simon one of my favourites Bruno Suarez Um, interestingly Sergei Sarkovsky was there wearing Ukrainian military gear Uh, Robredo Cole Schreiber Takao Lindstedt no Andreas Seppi though so I don't know if he was, you know, he was still angry about not getting a local wild card from the Italian Tennis Federation. But um, yeah, for me, it was quite nice to see all of the kind of players who have retired this season kind of get their moment because, yeah, there has been a, quite a few of them. And uh, yeah, it's nice to, I think, see them all in one place, have this one moment rather than just like individuals, you know, across the whole season. Yeah, I, I also, uh, Fred, Freddie Nilsson was there, one of my mm. faves and and Tommy Robredo. So yeah. I mean, lovely. Is that Freddie Nielsen's singles career or his doubles career? Well, ha, yeah, I wouldn't surprise you me. Retired he retired a long time ago. Not from the future circuit. <laughs> um, <laughs> the photo of them all standing there is quite artistic as well. The way the shadows are falling. Mm. Uh, if anyone's looking at that, it's quite uh, quite nice. But yeah, no, that was great. And uh, I'm not sure wheel, wheeled out was the right expression, Joel. They're yeah. not. They're not. They're not ninety. Yeah, they they are still going. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tommy Robredo must be getting on now. I thought he retired a while ago. <laughs> Oh, he did, but then he decided to come back again, I think. Uh, uh. But yes, I mean, let's talk about what did happen in the, the real tournament. Uh, we've alluded to it, and that is the fact that Novak Djokovic has won his sixth ATP finals title. Uh, he beats Kasper Ruud in the final in straight sets, 7-5, 6-3. Both of them were the round-robin winners from their respective groups. Um, so, yeah, Novak is the oldest ever champion at this event at age 35, surpassing Federer's um, previous record where he clinched it at age 30, which back in the day did seem quite an age, but doesn't mm. anymore. Um Djokovic has now won this title in three different decades. Um, just goes to show his longevity, his dominance over the last, uh, you know, 15 plus years on the tour. And really, I mean, we kind of were alluding to this last week. We thought Djokovic was obviously one of the top favourites. And I have to say how he played this week, how the results went, you know, including especially the final for me, it was just kind of par for the course, really. Um, but what did you make, Joel, of of his performance this week? Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible effort, I think, for him to go undefeated. I have to give him respect, you know, where it's due, particularly for that match, I think, against Medvedev, where he went into that third set and you could have, you know, you could have said to him, take a break, let Medvedev win this because he was he was already in the semi-finals. So I think it was great to see him just give as much as possible. I don't necessarily feel like he was 100% fit through throughout the week. I feel like the 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 main visual I have of him from this week is of him sitting down, um you know, at the change of ends shaking under a a towel and I don't know whether you know there was kind of fatigue there or or whatever it was, but I think he showed to me that he's a player who when you think he's injured or you know not at 100% that is actually when he is at his most dangerous and I don't know what it is but in this final you know we were all going into it thinking 
this was a, a foregone conclusion, a step too far for Kasper Rube, and that's what it proved. And, and for me, Djokovic was serving great throughout the week, and but in the final, I think particularly his return of serve was what made the difference. Where he was just finding the rude backhand so much more than than his forehand, which is his, I think, his main weapon. And it wasn't able, I think, to get rude into the points as early as he might have liked. And um, yeah, it was a very impressive victory for you know for me to see that in the final and the fact that he went undefeated throughout the week again given the physical shape he he may have been in from the the, the tv images i've seen for me was impressive as well and chris uh, what does casper rude need to do to finally win a big title like two grand slam runner-up uh appearances this season now runner-up at the tour finals you know is 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 he always gonna be the bridesmaid or he is in that spot at the moment isn't he he is, which I, I feel like, what, you know, what does he need to do to get to that next level? Yeah, I think he's definitely on the right path. I think if you look at his game throughout the year, you've seen how much he's improved certain aspects of it. And he's talked about that throughout the season. I mean, his backhand, he's changed actually how he sets up with his feet for that backhand. He's able to do much more with it. Mm. He's also able to be much more aggressive with the forehand and he's serving pretty well. So... I think it's a case where this one feels a bit different from the other finals that he's had this year because uh, Djokovic was just a cut above, you know, Um, it was someone who's been, I mean, I've never seen Djokovic serve this well ever. Um, I think Djokovic, although he might have seen, uh, there might have been signs that he wasn't physically feeling well. I think he looks physically stronger, more muscular than um, I've seen him in, in years. I think he was obviously playing very well, but I think with um with Casper, he's obviously in the right direction because who would have thought, you know, after that uh, start of this week, that Casper would have taken out indoor specialist Felix, um, and then kind of gone all the way to the final. I think he keeps kind of proving people wrong when people might count mm. him out in certain situations. So I would love to see him go a step further because I think he's pretty much seen as a university nice chap, and I think unlike a lot of the players. Um, at the top of the game, he's constantly improving what he does. And I think someone like um, Sitsipas could could learn that kind of he can always add some more tools to to your armory. Yeah, I think Kasparud is one of the most um, respectful and pleasant characters on the tour. And he's got a great work ethic, which I think has obviously yeah. shown in is his he development. Too nice? Is he too nice though? I feel like he's... To he, Rafa, could be yes. in the, <laughs> he could be in the Roger Rafa, you know, mould of great sportsmanship um, on, on court. But do you think he lacks a, an edge to him? Killer that instinct. It means mm. that, you know, I'm still going into these matchups. I'm, you know, thinking about that, that French Open final. I'm thinking about this final as well, where he almost has too much respect for these, these greats of the game. And as a result, it, it just sort of ends in, in def, you know, a meek kind of defeat for him. Do you think he needs to add a little bit more of an edge that, you know, we've seen maybe from the, this week from like a, a Sissipas in the, in, the, in the press conference room. I think people don't realise how dangerous his game is. Um, I definitely didn't realise how much he can do off both sides, especially the backhand. So I think it comes from results, like the way that he was able to dismantle Rublev, you know, 6-2, 6-4 after Rublev mm-hmm. got one of his breakthrough wins, you know, to get to a semi-final of a tournament this big is probably one of his biggest semi-finals he's ever played. Um, so I think that's something that sends out a clear message. I do think he probably is a touch on the nice side. I saw mm. um, one of those passing the phone to where they got everyone in the ATP finals to do that. And everyone made a joke. I think Djokovic made fun of um, Medvedev or all of this. And then um, 
I know Rublev called uh, Medvedev the octopus, passed the phone to the octopus. Then Casper said, for Nadal, passing the phone to someone who's always been my idol. Um, <laughs> he's such an inspiration. It's like, Casper, you didn't mm. get the memo. Um, but having seen that, it does make sense as to why he was able to to mm. lose to Nadal, but then, you know, come through the rest of them. It to me looks like on, on the TV, I see, you know, his box, his team, all the brands, all the sponsorship on, on, him, on him as well. It to me feels like he's the most... Trying, they're trying to be, make him like the most media brand friendly person possible and as a result of that they you know wanted to court absolutely zero controversies and that's maybe for me was what is what's leading to this sort of image of him that I'm not necessarily saying is a bad thing but for me in terms of performance and, and, and looking to make that step up maybe it's something that needs to be addressed when he does need to get a bit more scrappy down and dirty wow. whatever it is mm. um mm. he needs to yeah. maybe think about how like, he how he achieves that but then i think about it if we ask him has rafa been in a scandal uh never not to my knowledge <laughs> part, i, I think mean he's apart following from, yeah apart mm. from blooming french media making up stories and that oh sort yes of thing. yes but um but i feel like he's following the rafa mold a little bit you know he is his idol curios mold yeah i mean if you're going to be like a bit vanilla rather than a bit spicy, what are you going to choose? I mean, what is going to be better for your career long-term yep. if you're choosing yep. what sort True. of mould yeah. to follow? Um, yet we're, here we are kind of maybe <laughs> critiquing him for that. We're trying to build the perfect player, guys. Um, but no, I think it's a fair comment from both sides. I mean, let's talk a bit about Daniel Medvedev, who did have a bit of a shocker, mm. lost all of his matches, all in a last set tie-break. Um, you know, going into, well, obviously it's the end of the season now, but going into like Australia at the start of um, the coming season, you know, he's, he's had really good success in Australia at the last kind of two renditions. Where do you think his, his game and his head are at, um, you know, losing those matches so narrowly, really um, not having a great week as a result. Um, what, what did you both make of, of him this week? Cause I know we were sort of picking him as maybe being, uh, one of the ones to watch uh, didn't quite come to fruition, but it—I mean, it could have done. Especially that match against mm. Itzpas, that was that was quite a humdinger, wasn't it, Chris? What did you make of that one in particular? Yeah, I think he seems like he had a bit of a maybe week, and if you watch some of the He's matches, had a maybe he did season, I think. He has, that's true, actually. He has dipped in and dipped out of concentration in these matches. And I think we're so used to Medvedev being such a good retriever and such a good counterpuncher. And it just felt like I was watching him and I did not feel like he was as secure in his game as he normally is. Um, he normally makes you work so hard to win points. And I remember obviously watching the final when he, uh, when he played against... Um, uh, Nadal um, in the US Open final, I think it was a number of years ago, but that was something where he almost just couldn't be stopped. He he came uh, back from two sets down, pushed it to, to the fifth set. And I just felt like he looked like he could be beaten this week. And I think um, players were able to take quite a lot of um, encouragement from that because he, he wasn't doing everything as well as he normally does. And he wasn't thinking as rationally as I think his, he normally does on the court. Like some of the, I mean, the shot that he saved match point um, in that match, it was a jump smash he did from behind the court. Um, and although that's not a percentage play, it did win the point. But it's not the, uh, the it's not the Medvedev that we've seen um, in previous years. So moving into next year, it'll be interesting to see how he'll perform. Um, obviously, we know he's got the game, but it seems like it's between the years in terms of this performance. And he definitely should have walked away with at least one, probably two wins. And Joel, what what do you make on on the Medvedev front? Do you think 
you know, if he gets his head back in the right place again and he switches it on, like come mm. Australia, he's obviously going to be a force to be reckoned with again. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, this season for him, there's been still, I think, some long-standing kind of scar tissue from that Australian Open final defeat from, you know, Nadal. And, you know, this week there were times where, you know, he was on the court and making incredible plays, but you just wondered whether he had just sort of given up and he was going for the kind of the low percentage, yeah. the low going percentage options. Almost. And I also get the sense as well, there's been more frustration, like with his his box. I feel like he kept looking towards his box and, you know, he likes to have, feel like, have that dialogue. But I feel like when he's out on the court and he's more focused on you know what he can do rather than just sort of looking at his box, which I feel like is something I associate more with like a, a Zverev, um, you know, in these you know, big matchups. I think he plays, you know, a lot better tennis. Having said that, I do think it was very kind of small, you know, margins either side. And although it was kind of zero, you know, zero and three on paper, I think, you know, very easily could have gone his way on, on another day. So, you know, I think there's positives to take despite being bottom of his group. And I think going into next season, I think for him, it will certainly be a, a fresh start in the sense that hopefully, you know, he can just have a, a clear season we'll have to wait and see what happens with you know Wimbledon and, and, and Russian entrance but I'm just hoping that yeah he can have sort of a kind of clear mind and get back to the kind of the Medvedev I think we saw going into the start of the season and um, there's an opportunity kind of coming up to really kind of put some some demons to bed that I feel like have haunted him over the majority of the season. Yeah, for sure. And just another player I thought did very well uh, this week, Taylor Fritz. You know, he narrowly lost to Casper Ruud in their match mm. on that last set tie break. So, you know, he could have been the one topping the group um, and not having to face Novak in that semi final, which, you know, he, he only lost on two tight tie breaks. So yeah. I would have been intrigued. In both of them as well, I think. Yeah, I would have been really intrigued. I felt like he was. Um, perhaps closest to 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 knocking Novak's um off his mantle but one uh, one result that was very 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 pleasing especially from a british perspective uh, was Joel, Joe Salisbury Joel Salisbury uh, Ra- I know I was just about to say Joel, <laughs> Joel. Salisbury <laughs> Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram winning the doubles title um, they lost the final this time last year, but they managed to get the job done this year uh, in Turin beating Mektic and Pavic in straight sets so Really fantastic. He's the first British player to win at this event. Um, and yeah, great season they've had and topped off with a fantastic title. What I find amazing about that doubles victory is Rajiv Ram. I know we talk about Novak Djokovic uh, is 35 years old and winning the singles end of season tour finals title. Rajiv Ram is 38 and they were, yeah, they were fantastic throughout the week. Um, they, like Djokovic, were undefeated. And against Mektic and Pavic in the final, it just, I know it looked quite tight on the scoreline, but they were just so cool and calm and um, fantastic at the net. And um, again, it shows, I think, just the longevity you can have in tennis in singles and doubles. I think it's a lot longer than I think people, you know, naturally thought like five, ten you know, years ago. I think that's a result of, the big three and, and showing what can be done even now like post you know 35 years old and I think Rajiv Ram should deserve credit for for showing actually also what can be done on the on the doubles tour as well yeah no for sure I think um I know doubles players generally have a bit more longevity mm. like they can keep going but he's he's in the prime of his career really yeah. um right now so full kudos to to him um before we go to a bit of a break, uh, one question for, for you both, and maybe I'll throw in my two cents worth as well. Um, 
are we going to be tentative and make some predictions for this time next year? Like who's going to be in these tour finals at the end of the 2023 season? I know we're, we've only just got to the end of this season. But we're already looking way ahead. We were having um, big discussions on this on the WhatsApp. <laughs> Yeah. Joel, do you want to lead on this one? Um, tell us who you've got. <laughs> well, shockingly, I, I put the, my I put my um, my eight up and I actually forgot Carlos Alcaraz from the, the world from number the one. <laughs> yeah, from the list, as as you do, um, which we should talk about, by the way, because, you know, you had a little end of season celebration as the world number one. But um, yeah, my top eight were for next season. I'm going to still have Djokovic and Nadal there. I've got Medvedev, Sissipas, and I'm going to put Carlos Alcaraz in with Holger Rune. I'm going to have Sasha Zverev and Kasper Ruud. So those are going to be my eight. I'm saying no to Felix Auger-Aliassime. I'm saying no to Andrei Rublev. And I'm saying no to Matteo Berrettini because I just think he's too injury prone. So Rublev's not going to get any more tools out of his toolbox in time for next, <laughs> yeah. uh, next Very few year. Tools I don't think it's it enough time year. for him to sharpen his tools. Uh, <laughs> mm, okay. um, this is going to get old quickly, isn't it? Um, shall, I, shall I take over quickly? Who have you got, Chris? Um, I've got world number one, Holger Rune. Uh, um, <laughs> I've got Djokovic in there. I've got Sitsipas. I think he'll cheer up after um, the end of this season. Um, Alcaraz, I think he'll be making his debut. Um, Medvedev, I think he'll steady the ship. Um, Kasper, I wouldn't bet against him to make it again. Um, I think we'll get Berrettini back in there. I think he'll, I hope he'll be injury free. And then, Rounding it all off, um, I've got Felix, Oje Alessim, and then my alternates, I've got Rublev and Sinner. So Ooh. we also thought that Rublev... Um, so no Zverev. I think it's going to take a lot to get um, to get back to the top. And I don't know from an injury perspective if I'm going to make that gamble on him yeah. there. But yeah. um, it's, a strong, it's a strong field, I'd say. It's tough. I'd completely forgotten about Berrettini. I hadn't even thought about him. So mm. uh, I've gone for Djokovic, Alcaraz, Rude, Medvedev, Sitspas, Zverev, Rune, and I've gone for Herkash. Um, really? I also think, yeah, I know. Um, not really sure why. Just you know, <laughs> he's up kind of there. I feel like he's he, once he puts it together. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like Rafa would be there, but probably won't be because mm. of injury or something. And then I'm kind of in the Fritz FAA Rublev mold for my alternates but so we're we are all pretty similar uh i don't think there's gonna be significant changes but what do you think about alcaraz as, as you know you mentioned actually joel how you'd forgotten about him as the mm. world number one um obviously a lot of people you've say you've done that oh, before joel haven't you, you <laughs> when you forgot ash barty ash the world number one yes. in the quiz yes. last year both of you 10. have not let me live that down <laughs> but well, I mean, you've got to try and write the wrong a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Djokovic is really the world number one because, like, he mm. wasn't able to gain... Well, he, you know, he lost a load of points at Wimbledon, wasn't able to play uh, two of the slams this year. So Alcaraz is almost like a, a fake number one, which it sounds a bit mm. harsh, but I, I get their point. What, what do you make of, of that um, statement, Chris, for, you know, start yeah, with? Yeah, I think I tried to do some maths, you know, to try and up my 
tennis knowledge ahead of this and um, I felt a bit distraught because I actually deleted a tweet because I had forgotten that Alcaraz had made the fourth round of Wimbledon. So I had drafted a tweet that was saying that they would have been, if the Wimbledon points had counted, they'd have finished on the exact same number of points. But that's not true because Carlos would have got some Wimbledon points. So there would have only been about 200 points in it. And that's considering the fact that, as you say, Djokovic did not play Australian Open or the US Open. And I'm pretty sure in those two events combined, we believe he would have met, got more than 200 points. So for me, I think it's um, it's fantastic what he's achieved this year. Um, I think given the nature of how this season has ended, it does feel like he's not the world number one um, and that being the youngest number one, it's actually more the oldest, you know, number one maybe that we've had at an end of season. And it's it's more that story than it is the youth story that feels a bit strange because he obviously wasn't at the end of season finals. So... I do think it's it is quite weird the the fuss that's being made about it because it is incredible having the breakthrough Grand Slam, but when everyone knows and everyone is predicting who's going to win next year tournaments, Djokovic is the favourite in every single respect. So number two definitely number one. I do, I don't really feel like he is. Do you think the pressure there will still be pressure on him in that sense that you know we're going into the Australian Open, Novak Djokovic is going to be there. He's not going to be um, you know the number one seed. Is there, you know, is that um, mm. almost a good thing for for Alcaraz that the pressure and the expectation is going to be back on on Novak Djokovic now that he mm. will be back at the Australian Open, whereas Carlos Alcaraz, yes, he's world number one, but actually spotlight arguably not necessarily on mm. him given he's had a little bit of a uh, you know injuries not been at the the tour finals it'll be very interesting to see how he starts next season because we've not seen him on a court for a while yeah I don't think that Djokovic um I think it's Djokovic versus himself I don't think Djokovic mm. feels the pressure so in answer that I don't think he does I think if he felt the pressure he probably would have eased off in that Medvedev match but instead it was almost like he was trying to prove to everyone that he could be put in any situation and he's still going to come out with every single win this week. So the Alcaraz question, it's very hard to back up a slam year. Um, obviously, Iga won the French and then she did move up the rankings to be kind of a top tenner who did make the end of season finals. But I think it will be more reminiscent of Iga's 2020 um, win and then her 2021 season than it will be uh, Alcaraz finish at the top. I don't think he's going to win a slam next year. So you think there'll be a little bit of a second season syndrome? Yeah, top five, um, maybe it'll be top five sort of thing, but I don't think yeah. he'll be. Um, it's very hard to back up the slam and it, and even other players who've broken through um, very young, it's been tricky too. I mean, don't worry, Emma Raducanu is going to win one next year, so it's fine, <laughs> but um, she'll prove the, the theory right. Let's see where we fare with those predictions, but let's take a very quick ad break now. Um, but do join us in the second half where we'll be talking about Novak Djokovic looking set to play the Australian Open next season, the rise of paddle tennis, and also the start of the Davis Cup knockout draws uh, in Malaga. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a par for the courts to kickstart the second half of the show. Now, uh, which of you has brought this to the table this this week? Is it, <laughs> I have is brought your... it to the table. It's Joel. Okay. Oh, what are we in for? 
Chris's suggestion was so shockingly hard that I've actually had to come in at the Guys, last moment. it's only fair. It's only fair that I put you through your paces. Look, as I feel you were, like I'm putting you, through my paces every week. You wanted to make week. it all about Caroline Garcia to give Kim the... Yeah, the extra sort of leg up on me, but um, I've I've taken ownership of the situation and I've come in and made it a Chris versus Kim for our last tour catch-up of the season. So I assume there will be not a WTA uh, question to, well, to help you no, say that. He's it stolen actually... it from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not at all. It's actually, um, and this is a back and forth, so this is going to go back and forth between you. It's actually to do with ATP players. And mm-hmm. uh, I found this on social media the other day. It is the list of 30 players who have defeated each member of the big three at least once in their career. Ooh. So there's 30 in total. Some players 30, are currently 30 active. people. Some currently active. That's an awful lot. I know, I know. <laughs> there's some currently active. There's some that are currently retired. And someone may have achieved it very very recently um so uh yeah there's 30 in total so there's quite a few names that you can give me some i'm expecting yeah i'm expecting a little bit of back and forth here so uh who would like to start off oh this is tough okay um right uh, i'm happy to go first chris if uh if please if, do the honors if Kim. that's okay <laughs> right okay, Kim. so first answer david nalbandian Correct. Yes. Oh wow! I mean, that was rogue to begin with. I thought there were a lot more obvious. <laughs> he does, he comes that, up a lot okay. in these, doesn't he? He won the <laughs> ATP season finals. I think we had him recently. Um, I'm going to go for Murray. Correct. Oh, I forgot about yes. him. Um, Stan Wawrinka. Very good. Yes, on the list. Uh, Sits a pass. Felix Oje Aliassime. Very good. He is the most recent addition to the list. So FAA, correct answer. Ooh, that's a very good one because he beat him over in Germany on the grass or something, I think. Mm. Yeah, um, Haller, I think. Oh, yes. I remember that match. Uh, I'm going to go Nishikori. Correct answer. Nishikori oh, is on goodness. the list. Yes. Oh, Nick Kyrgios. Very good, Kim. Nick Kyrgios is on the list. Yes. We've got to say Dominic team, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Um, oh. Go rogue, Kim. <laughs> Kim. Come on. Kim Please. Str- I feel Kim like Kim is struggling. Well, I do I go quite far back or... Oh, uh, Zverev? Correct. Federer? Yes, okay. Zverev on the list, yep. Um... Still a few I... current players, but yeah, there's still quite a few other players as well. Have we ha- have we said? Um, oh god, now you said Kim struggling. Now I'm the one struggling. <laughs> um, I am going to say, has Thomas Burdick done it? He was on my mind. Thomas Burdick is a correct answer. Yes. Woo! Oh, thank goodness. Um. I've got someone, but I'm just debating with how whether they. I know they've beaten two of them. I think, but Ooh, getting into getting into tense territory. I hear. I think a wrong answer could be around the corner. Um. Oh gosh, I didn't know if to say that person. 
Marat Safin. Oh, that could be a bit rogue. I don't think he's beaten Rafa. Marat Safin. Marat Safin, Kim. <laughs> it's a wrong answer. Oh. Chris takes the point. Marat Safin oh. not on the list. Gordon not Bennett. What? Oh, I don't think he's beaten Rafa, has he? I think that's the one I was sceptical mm. about. I can definitely remember him beating Federer. And I'm going to oh, assume and... he beat Djokovic. Yeah, he beat Djokovic at Wimbledon in 2008. Oh, yeah. That was a good there one. Is, I mean, oh. there is. I'm not going to lie, Kim. There are still plenty of names on the list. Are either of you two any any other guesses? Songa. Yeah, I was thinking about him. Yeah, uh, Songa on Chil- the list. Chilich, Dimitrov. Chilich. Yeah, Chilich, that's a good Dimitrov, one. Baby Fed. Yeah. Um, uh, Alcaraz. No, not Alcaraz. No, no, Alcaraz not on the list actually. No. Hmm. I don't think he's played Federer, has he? Uh, Davidenko. <laughs> yes, very good. I were a lot of players give us the list that era when i'm assuming okay so you could have had murray team vavrinka del potro chilich sissipas zverev rublev kirios dimitrov nishikuri david goffan joe wilfred songa john isner no gilles simon thomas burditch roddick ferrero mario ancic ivan lubicic jürgen meltzer Nikolai Davidenko, Fernando Gonzalez, now Bandian, Kim, one of one of your probably least favourite players, Robin Soderling. Oh. <laughs> You're gonna be saying Lucas Russell is on the list next. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think Lucas Russell just about misses. Well, everyone the cut, else is on the list by the looks of things. <laughs> <laughs> um Hewitt, Arnaud Clement, Xavier Melisse with the ponytail, Julian Beneteau, and Felix Auger Aliassime. Wow, Kim. When it comes to this, avoid the Russians. It was Anushak Fatatsi last time, wasn't it? Oh, why do I go for these niche players? I mean, not that Safin is niche. He but, wants some slams. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly, right? The I was trying to think of who's, the moment. who's crossing like the eras. Um, oh, well, we live and learn. That was that was a really good thought. That was a, that was a tricky one, though, because you, yeah. you think the players have and they haven't. I wonder how our listeners got on. Let us know how you did, because, um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure. Many of our listeners will have got a lot more than, than maybe we both actually could have managed. But um, did anyone else have Marat Safin? Let us know. But yeah, Chris, well done. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I can so take, see that, the take that away from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on quickly to the mailbag. <laughs> um, well, we've got a really good question from James on email about paddle tennis. Uh, so James said that uh, on the 4th of November, there was an article in the sports pages of the Times uh, headed. I've seen the future of tennis for the masses. Uh, it's called paddle. Um, so James is asking if uh, any of us, I think, have played paddle. And do we think it's any sort of threat to the mainstream game of tennis? Um, Joel, I think you've played paddle. Is mm. that right? Yes, I have. Um, I, you know, I had a few friends sort of talk to me about it, got excited about it. And they were like, oh, you do a tennis podcast. Why don't you come play paddle and see what it's about? And uh, yeah, I went I went and, and had a I had a hit with a small racket in a cage. Um, <laughs> That's and, how you play the um, game for our listeners in case you haven't played. In a cage. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, it is like a cage, but I was, I was not very good. Um, but um, yeah, it was quite an interesting concept. Um, I, 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 yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't see it as a a threat. Uh, I think to tennis, if if actually anything, I see it more as a, a compliment in terms of expanding um, the game and, and and racket sports in general. If 
if I did see it as a threat, I'd actually argue it's more of a competitor to something like, to me, like squash, where uh, it's more on a, on a closed court. I think it's interesting um, seeing, mm. I think I've seen it exhibition style recently in, you know, like an O2, you know, on the outside of like an O2 arena in, um, you know, in, in kind of a shopping centre. And, and I feel like squash has, has done and showcased that in the past where you put it in these more urban environments that you may not necessarily get like a, a like a, a, te- a full size, um, you know, tennis court. And, um, you know, for me, I would, you know, only see it as a threat, not necessarily to the mainstream game of tennis, but arguably maybe to other more compact uh, ball sports like yeah, mm. I'm thinking like squash. compact ball sports. I mean that really. I know, very technical. <laughs> I'm getting very technical here. Squash is quaking in its boots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've played a, a few I'm, times. I'm going to go to my leisure centre and play a compact uh, <laughs> yeah, category. Sport compact week. ball sports. Um, <laughs> do you do compact balls here? Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's the same, Joel. I don't think it would have um, a big threat to. ATP WTA tennis but I think it's a great way of getting more people into tennis who may be a bit put off mm. by the conventional game I've played something similar I've, I've played one of those fun little things <laughs> at the O2 when the world tour finals were on mm. and I had such a laugh but it, it wasn't proper paddle but it was very similar yeah and it was fun I do think though it, it will blur the lines more I think because I think we'll inevitably see more paddle courts Oh, um, in, in, integrated into mm. well I think they're going to be integrated into tennis clubs more you know and it'll be a more of a vehicle to drive you know further you know further participation yeah. and I could I could see you know players play tennis and paddle at the same time I mean there are top players I think you know Gael Monfils I think is a big promoter of of, of paddle tennis I've seen him on, on social really? media you know play it a few times um, so I could see yeah the sort of combination but i can't necessarily see them being in an either or scenario i was gonna have a bit of a humble brag here um i've actually played in multiple countries um i've played paddle oh okay thanks yeah um it's very popular (laughs) in scandinavia so i played quite a few times Mm. here in copenhagen and then i also played on a holiday in spain and um they actually were converting tennis courts to make more room for paddle because of how popular it was so that's a very real threat that's a compact ball sport that's allowing you to get two almost Mm. two courts into maybe i'm just so arrogant about tennis no i think it won't have the same profile though i think um it's definitely becoming more accessible i think from uh, i play with people of different ages so it's something that you're able to play maybe kind of no matter what your physical ability is so um, the only mm. thing I'd say it's a threat for is probably from a participation perspective. If you want to try and get people to, you know, start playing tennis, um, it it is quite it's quite fun and a bit different. You know, it's got almost like a bit of an, um, yeah, as you said, like an arcade sort of theme to it in the sense mm. that you can hit it against the wall. You can it's quite exciting. So I think maybe that might take um, some of the the talent pool. Yeah, that's interesting actually because obviously uh, you know at a junior age you're you're on a smaller court in, in mini tennis. Um, mm. And that is more, I could see that certainly more, you know, similarities light for light with, mm. with paddle where it could be in a, you know, an either or, you know, situation. I think, yeah, if you compare it, you know, for adults, full size court versus it, I feel like they're still a bit, yeah, you know, still a bit different at the, the moment for me to think, oh. you know, you're going to choose one or the other. And in Rome, they had paddle at um, the Rome tournament. 
they had paddle and they had exhibition paddle that was being played. So I actually checked out some of that. Um, so maybe it's going to come a bit more as a, a package deal, you know, rather than yeah. one has to yeah. one one has to destroy the other. Um, more people picking up rackets or bats in this case has got to be a good thing, right? <laughs> well, and it, it is bigger in in continental Europe, isn't mm. it? But it seems like it's making more inroads over here. Hence uh, the Times reporting on yes, it. So if it's made the Times. It must have really <laughs> taken over the UK. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see a little bit on how it develops over here. But um, yeah, certainly, I think yeah, as a compliment, I think it's a it's a good shout rather than a paddle comp- weekly. You guys ready for a second podcast? Paddle weekly. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, not yet. But thank you, thank you, James, for your question, and do um, let us know if you've got any others you'd like us to have a crack at as well, or have a bat at, I should say. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about some of the news items from this last week. Uh, which, well, we don't have an awful lot, actually. It's been fairly quiet on the news front. But big piece of news that we do have is that Novak Djokovic has been allowed to play the Australian Open in 2023. His uh, three-year visa ban has been overturned uh, by the Immigration Minister Andrew Giles, who came into position in May. Uh, So Djokovic is now cleared to travel out to Australia to uh, play the event, um, which is obviously of great relief to, to Novak, to his fans, to his team and um, to, to many other people who obviously would like uh, such a great champion to be there. Um, I know that perhaps this isn't a big surprise that there was a change in the government in Australia after last year's or this year's shenanigans. So uh, many were saying that it's it's likely it would have been overturned and that is what's happened. Um, Joel, what what do you think... Uh, this means for the tournament next year. How do you feel? How do you feel people on the ground are going to react? Because there was a lot of antipathy towards him uh, this year. I think for me, that's the that's the now fascinating question about you know Novak Djokovic and the Australian Open. It's you know it's remarkable to think you know where his season started and and where it has ended up. Um, you know, with the you know the tour finals trophy, but certainly the not the next the start of the next season, he's in great form at the moment. He's going to feel even more determined, like a man on a mission. I think, given how he was treated, how the situation was handled at the start of last season. So I'm almost kind of relieved and glad it's been sorted out in so far. Um, you know, in advance, so that so that we're not going to get into this kind of big circus act that dragged out I felt over you know such an extended period of time and also I think from the competition point of view I think having the best competitors there it just makes it you know more interesting and more engaging I think those were sort of the the sentiment that, that Rafa was getting across in his um, you know, press conferences in, in Turin around, um, you know, Novak Djokovic playing in terms of actually, I think it's going to be good to see him out there. And from a competitive point of view, I'm glad to see him. What the fans are going to make of it, I think he's still going to get a mixed reception. But we've seen in the past that even if the crowd are booing Djokovic, I think that might motivate him even more. Mm, and Chris, what do you think? Uh, is he going to walk on to a chorus of boos? That is a great question. I think he will the first time, let's be honest. Mm. That's a classic Aussie response. We've seen it kind of when there's been some um, sort of drama in the past. So I think that will be inevitable. But my overall feeling towards this is I just want to see the best, all the best players in the world be at a tournament. They can all play each other. We can stop being like this one doesn't count as a 
win or this one doesn't mm. for this reason. And I think we saw in Paris just how much fun it is when you get some of those quarterfinal matchups that we've kind of been robbed for for a bit because the seedings have been a bit warped at times because of different decisions, whether it's Wimbledon, whether it's um, vaccination related, uh, whether it's people not wanting to travel, you know, all the way back to teams, um, uh, US Open triumph. So for me, it's just about getting all the best players playing. And I think we're at a point, especially after Djokovic has just displayed um, that he is a cut above the rest, where if he's not there, it's not really a grand slam. Um, because no one's beaten, well, well, no one, not no one's beaten him. Obviously, he has been beaten in a, uh, a Grand Slam this year, but um, he's definitely on a on a run where he's the person to beat at a Grand Slam, is what I would say. Yeah, and I, I think he will still be the person to beat, mm. regardless of what happened this year out in Australia. What do you think, Kim, as a as a Rafa fan, Rafa, obviously the defending mm. singles champion? Yeah, Kim's are you for like a, a job on the immigration annoyed? board Secret, <laughs> in Australia? Secretly annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> um, right, no. All in all seriousness, uh, we'll have to see how Rafa is physically and and all the rest of it. But Djokovic, you know, he's won this event so many times, and mm. he is at home on those courts like there's no tomorrow. So for me, if he's there, it's it's hard to to go against him as the overall champion, um, unless something crops up or you know, the the crowd are perhaps less than receptive and that influences things. But um But you're pleased yeah, to see me, him there. If he's there. Uh, oh, am I pleased to see him there? What would you mm, say? Well uh, <laughs> as a Rafa fan, I'd I'd probably rather I'd probably rather Djokovic wasn't there because then obviously it's it's likely you know, he's likely to win and get more more grand slams mm. in in the race. You know, he's gonna surpass Rafa's total and I kind of know that that will happen anyway so I'm kind of let's delay it whilst we can mm. but um you know I don't have any control over whether he's allowed to play or enter a country so <laughs> if he's there if he's there he's there and if you want to win you, you're probably gonna have to beat him to do it so it's full credit to him if he does play and does win um so you know that that's where it is it's where it is really um yeah, well, so we'll see, we'll see, but I just hope we avoid that that scandal oh, and spectacle it was awful, that happened wasn't it? because that was just ridiculous. In hindsight, wasn't it? <laughs> um, let's quickly look at what's happening this week uh, on the tour. We've just got one final event, which is the Davis Cup, um, kind of final eight uh, out in Malaga. So we've got that getting underway uh, tomorrow with Australia against the Netherlands, uh, Croatia and Spain follow on Wednesday. And then we've got Germany, Canada and Italy, USA on Thursday, uh, culminating eventually uh, in the final on Sunday, 27th of November with the champions being crowned. So there's no round robin. It's just knockout stages starting with those kind of four quarterfinals. Um, what are we thinking? Who are we predicting? Who's going to win the Davis Cup 2022? Joel, do you want Ooh. to have a stab at it first? Oh, that's oh, that's an interesting question because there's not actually, dare I say, there's not actually many top top players playing this event, and I might go with Canada. Um, yeah, I know they won the ATP. They won the ATP Cup. I think Felix Ogier Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov will be there got Pospisil, Danny Nestor as well in in reserve for the doubles. So I'm I'm thinking maybe maybe Canada given if if FAA 
is fit and he's and he wants to play i think you know there could be a team that maybe even could just you know rely on on their singles you know their singles players to potentially get ties done and and move on um i think we saw that in the the atp cup and you know i i have no reason to bet against them potentially doing a, um at the davis cup in malaga mm. yeah i yeah I, I think that's a fair prediction chris who are you gunning for I I mean I obviously it's undeniable that's a strong a strong team um and we talked about that one before uh, I'll go for a slightly less um predictable answer than um than Joel there <laughs> I reckon that I'm just having a little dig there but um Australia I think I'm going to say could do something we've seen that um an Australian team get into the final of the Billie Jean King cup yeah yep. who did not mm-hmm. necessarily have a stacked field amongst them um and I think that if you put Alex Diminar um, and Kokonakis, they're on the team there. They've got a very strong doubles pair. Uh, and I think doubles, you've got to kind of, you can't underestimate the importance of doubles in this. They've got Max Purcell and um, Matthew Ebden as well. They've got quite a tough opener um, against the Netherlands in the quarterfinal. But I just feel like Diminar's coming into some form. Um, he obviously had a great win over Medvedev, but I guess quite a few people have recently. <laughs> but I think they could be um, a bit of a wild card for this one. I was just going to say, I think Australia are looking quite handy as, as well. Um, I've got them in my in the final, but Ooh. I don't know if they're going to go all the way. Because I think on the top half, it's going to be either the USA or Canada. And then I do think it might be Australia. Although Spain are, are at home... Um, I think it's going to be a sort of uh, English-speaking final. <laughs> what do you make of the the format? Because it is a knockout format versus, you know, we obviously we're at the Billy Jean King Cup finals in Glasgow. That was round robin going into a semi-final final. How do you compare the, the, the formats in terms of this being just a straight knockout? Could be one match and you're done. Well, I, I think it's it's good and it's bad. I think we know from the Billie Jean King Cup that um, if you get to the knockout stages, you don't pay the deciding rubbers. So it does mean from a scheduling perspective, it is kind of um, quite, can be quite rapid, but I do think you want to see a doubles match play. And I think there is a, there would be a shame if you didn't get matches that go to deciders. You can Mm. um, have kind of some players that will travel there and obviously won't even um, really play. I do think, one thing I'll say that's interesting is that I did see recently that um, uh, the United Cup is having a slightly different format because they have, um, I think they have too many. Is it too many cities or too few cities? It's in three cities and there's a semi-final. So what they're doing is they're having obviously the, the round robin and then the best results of a, lo- a second place in a group can go through. So that kind of means that every single rubber's to play for. So that's quite a unique way of doing it because I do think, as you said, that the this format in a shorter format as well doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh, that, the Magic Davis Cup sort of moments that you get no. from the doubles. But that's just my take. It's not very World Cup of tennis, is it, without a group stage? And it's just like thinking about like for like with with the football and the fact at the moment we've got the yeah the round robin going on. Yeah, I, I quite like the knockout format because I think the round robin. Yeah, you, I think knockout, it's like it's more intense right from the start. And I think that's potentially needed in this one yeah, to, to liven it up a bit. 
yeah. yeah. Especially because it's his falling right at the end of the season yeah. and it feels like kind of a last... They don't want to play like three rubbers, do they? <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it's a bit, you know, it's like an additional add-on and I think the timing isn't isn't really great, but... um. I don't know. I think I think it's I think it's better than around Robin actually, um, but yeah, we'll 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 see who who comes through in the end. Um, but next week we have something slightly different, don't we, guys? Because we have the return of the Tennis Weekly Quiz. Woo! Here we go. The tennis Weekly Twenty Twenty Two. I do that every week, surely, Joel. We do it every week on here. <laughs> <laughs> yes that will be back this is our final tour catch up listeners but we will be back with a final episode um, of the season next week we're going to be rounding up the whole season in classic quiz format we're going to be testing each other i'm not actually quite sure what the format is and how it's going to work with three people but we will figure it out over the week whilst watching the davis cup action we'll probably nod to the, the davis cup as well um as part of that episode next week to see what happens just a reminder actually on davis cup if you are a uk listener and you wish to watch the davis cup then you can do so on tennis channel international they are the exclusive UK broadcasters of the 2022 Davis Cup in Malaga. So if you want to watch the Davis Cup on Tennis Channel International, make sure to use the code UKDC at the checkout to get 50% off an annual subscription. And with that subscription, you also get to watch the Battle of the Brits. And that has the exciting clash of Andy Murray versus Jack Draper and Andy Murray versus Dan Evans. It also has Joe Salisbury playing. So that is one to watch on Tennis Channel, the only place you can watch that. And that is in December. That's a bit of Christmas festive viewing after soft the World Cup's <laughs> finished on the 21st and 22nd of December. Sorry, the second World Cup is finished. <laughs> I mean, the tennis the tennis really is uh, non-stop. But yeah, we are going to be back next week with our final episode, which will be our 2022 end of season quiz. So I hope you can join us for that. But listeners, remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Let us know all your thoughts and any questions as well for our mailbag. Uh, you can also email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back for one final time for the season next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for our quiz. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>